0: Today we are here with Zach Couples uh, for this episode of Bro Research Radio, and Zach, we've spent the last five days uh, with you, kind of hashing out movement in terms of your world of the—I don't know if that's completely true—but the clinician's world of physical therapy, and kind of Ryan and I are obviously meatheads, and so we see this stuff and we immediately think how screwed up we are, but. Then we also want to protect how screwed up we are, so we think of like cognitive dissonance. We think of ways. Like, ah, I don't know where that really applies to us. Um, and so I loved in the beginning of your your talk how you said, "Hey, just forget everything you know and just come at this with a with an open mind." And I think the best place for us to start is really this this idea that most people are deadlifting twice,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and so that that kind of. I, myself, I know I've learned probably to squat in a way that's not really a squat. And now I've loaded that pattern, Ryan and I, both, most, the majority of people, if you Google image squat, you're going to come up with something that's probably not a squat. Uh, So you you want to explain that to people, like what that is?
2: Yeah. So we have to delineate how are we defining a squat versus a deadlift. And for me, the difference between those two is what's going on mechanically at the pelvis, one, and two, what direction the, the, the body's going to travel or really the pelvis is going to travel as you're performing that action. So in a hinge or a deadlift, you ideally want to shoot the hips backward. And if we look at the pelvic mechanics, that would involve the, the sacrum nutating or tipping forward. Because as the sacrum tips forward, then the rest of the pelvis, as a consequence, has to move backward or, or posteriorly. With a squat, you have the opposite going on. The sacrum should counter or it should tip backward. As the sacrum tips backward, then the pelvis, as a consequence, has to travel straight up and down because that's the only option that's available. You can't, you can't shoot the pelvis incredibly forward Assuming that you're taking into account that you've stacked the rest of the thorax above the pelvis. What do you mean by stacking the, the, the pelvis on top of the,
3: or the thorax on top of the pelvis? Like, can you explain that for people that haven't really been exposed to that?
2: Yeah, so if you can think of uh, your, your rib cage, your abdomen, and your pelvis as, uh, as a coke can,
1: mm-hmm.
2: if I want to pressurize that coke can or prevent it from getting crushed, I'm going to increase pressure in all directions. And mm-hmm. the way that that would happen is if it's stacked. If I put a small dent in the can or I let out some of the pressure on top, then I'm able to crush the can. Gotcha. So most people, or a lot of people, when we are talking about compensatory mechanics, have a, essentially have a dent in the can. So mm-hmm. then they're not pressurizing their Coke can in, mm-hmm. in all directions. So they can still get some pressure, because you'll see that often, right? You'll see yeah. like that's a Balsalvo maneuver. Mm-hmm. And
3: lots of people are, are I mean, I think, by definition, really, the valsal maneuver is creating intra-abdominal pressure. And I think when people think of that, they're thinking belly, Mm
2: -hmm. right? And so how does it differ from that? So in that case, two things. One, if I'm doing just a belly breath, I'm not going to get multidirectional expansion of the abdomen and the pelvis. Mm -hmm. So then – from a loading perspective, I'm probably overloading certain tissues in one direction. In the case of if I'm belly breathing, the backside is more compressed, so I'm getting more concentric loading of the backside. The abdominal muscles and the, the viscera would be more stretched on the front side, so now I'm having too much eccentric loading on that side.
0: So that's, so that's the hard arch cue.
2: That's the hard arch cue, and that's not necessarily desirable because if, if I akin the same thing to a bicep curl, I can't curl efficiently. If I start all the way from the bottom, nor can I curl efficiently if I start all the way from the top, mm-hmm. the most efficient way to curl is in the middle. Um, so, and, that, and that's going to load the tissues in terms of, of how much for force you can develop. Yeah. In, in terms, terms depth, of force depth, production. Depth, 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 depth. So well, how is it that people are able to,
3: cause I mean, you see people squatting thousand plus pounds like that. Mm-hmm. So how did they develop the ability to do that? If, if you're proposing that this is not optimal
2: they're probably overloading passive tissues um, or they've developed compensatory strategies in, in some way, shape or form. Mm. Oftentimes too, especially if I'm talking about power lifters, getting in that extreme arch position is going to limit depth. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge, yeah. A so it's, it's yeah. efficient for them. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. do they do? Then they widen their stance. Yeah. So then they don't have to go as far. They can rely more on uh, passive elements mm-hmm. and a little bit of stress shortening cycle to get out of the bottom.
1: Mm.
3: And you'll see that power lifters all the time. Like, I mean, that might be, I think initially with powerlifting, if you go back to like the the big equipped days where they were using a squat suit, one of the reasons why you just widen your stance is like simply you're just going to stretch that squat suit out, but you'll see people carry that over into raw powerlifting as well. And probably the reason for that more so is because they can't actually hit depth. There's not a certain amount. I mean, for those who are not into powerlifting, like in, in most federations or in all federations, there's a certain depth that you need to hit. But it's not necessarily that you're moving your legs as far. It's just that you're getting your uh, hip crease underneath your knee, is, is typically the, the uh, acceptable depth. And by widening your stance, you don't actually have to move as far. Hmm. Right. So um, I, I think that the argument for a lot of people is that, well, I'm already, I'm, I'm doing, like, I'm, uh, if I abduct my femurs and, and I arch my back, like, I can still move as much weight, I can still get to depth but you're kind of cheating it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, it's,
2: it's gaming the system, essentially. Mm-hmm. But you have to ask what's your goal. If your goal is to move the most weight humanly possible, you probably want to take the most efficient route of getting there, mm-hmm. You know, irrespective of what adaptations you're trying to drive. Just like with a bench press.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's much more efficient to bench if I create a huge arch because the bar path is not lower, mm-hmm. versus if I am flat benching and I'm not – Depressing my scat so they're flat and creating that stable platform. I, I would I think it's the same
1: principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I think one thing too that we're we're missing with when we do that extreme arch is you In a perfect world you want to balance between not just intra-abdominal pressure, but also intra thoracic pressure as well yeah. and That's um, probably
3: a term that most people
1: haven't really heard of before. Yeah, no one talks about intra
2: thoracic pressure and part of the reason aside from force production if uh, you want intra pressure, you also want that to protect the spine. But rarely do we think about getting force production up in the upper thoracic region and spinal protection. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, so if I'm getting
0: air into the anterior
2: and posterior, 360. It, it should the, mirror the, the abdomen. and The entire cavity. Yeah, and, and under normal respiratory mechanics, if you look at some of the research by Detroyer, um, you should see somewhat of a, a balanced ratio between pressure – Increasing in those areas as you breathe in and as you breathe out pressure pressure should be the same You lose that if you create this excessive arch because now I can't feel the the upper back as effectively Um, And you probably lose it
0: passively like you're probably going to make these compensations So even in your everyday life, you can't like most people that we see in the weight room You're going to be anterior and posteriorly compressed
2: Yeah, more often than not And that's as a, as a mean to create some semblance of stability in the forex. So I, I, when, when I am overly stressed, whether that's something with weights or whatever, the, the safe bet, especially if we're talking in the, the the core region or the, the the axial skeleton region is to reduce movement options. Mm -hmm. So how can I reduce movement options? I can compress the hell out of the upper forex. Mm -hmm.
0: So the, that may be a good idea. So I, I always come back to this idea that strength is, you know, it's task specific, it's rep range specific, it's range of motion specific, it's, it's barbell specific, it's like machines not going to necessarily translate to a barbell. Mm-hmm. So if your sport is powerlifting, then these compensatory mechanisms are probably advantageous for you because that's what you care about. But I think where we get lost is most people aren't powerlifters. mm mm-hmm. Right. And so that's how we're teaching the general population to squat with Mm -hmm. this, you know, with this, this pelvis, that's probably not, you're just teaching a hinge twice, Mm -hmm. essentially. And then I always come back to body composition is most people that come to the gym are probably after body composition changes. They're not, they don't really care how much weight they lift unless they fall in love with some exercise Mm -hmm. and then Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting or something like that. But it seems like there's there's a there's a lot of one of the big gaps in the industry right now that I feel like like is we have these these tried and true exercises that we think work these muscle groups, but if you squat like that, you're probably not overloading the muscles that you're trying to overload.
3: Mm-hmm. Correct. It's kind of funny if you look at uh, especially a lot of the drug tested powerlifters. Their legs are very unimpressive <laughs> from a hypertrophy perspective. Like they, mm-hmm. they're, but their backs are generally pretty big. Their mm-hmm. erectors are usually like you could grab them with your hand. Yeah. It might be something to that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you think they're just they're essentially they're hinging, and then once their hips run out of room, then they're going to lumbar flex
2: to get to get mid- to definite deadlift. and That's so they're the just squat really, squat really good at, at- or or oh, in a squat for that matter.
0: Yeah, because it's the same movement. So they're just getting really good at lumbar flexion.
2: Yes. And then they can use the lumbar to, to
3: lift the weight up. And, and I would argue, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see people that can actually maintain that mutation the entire way through the squat. Mm-hmm. And they're taught to do like, what's the, I mean the most obvious uh, simple answer is if you're looking at it, like your butt keeps tucking under when you squat, don't do that. Arch harder. Butt wink. Right. So, so you're, we're seeing, we're seeing butt winks. So the cue is commonly chest up more stick your ass out more, maintain that tension. And that does work uh, when you look at it, you know, like they are often able to achieve that. Um, but maybe it's coming at a cost. So can you kind of explain like what's going on uh, at the level of the pelvis and probably we we'll have to talk about the thorax if we're talking about the pelvis, like what's going on? How, how are by, because essentially what you're saying is if we're, if we're mutating the sacrum, so we're bringing the pelvis back under kind of, we're we're counter-mutating the the sacrum. During a squat. During a squat or before you you begin the the descent on a squat, how is that allowing you to not counter-mutate
2: at the bottom? It has to depend on where you're placing the implement, the weight. So, for example, if I do anything anteriorly loaded, that's going to close off structures on the front because I'm going to have some degree of uh, muscular contraction concentrically to hold the weight up. I don't have anything blocking me on the backside posteriorly. Mm. So the mechanics of the thorax should match the mechanics at the sacrum. We have normal curves in the sense that the, the cervical spine should be lordotic, the thoracic spine should be kyphotic, the, the lumbar spine should be lordotic, and then the sacrum should be kyphotic. Mm. So I have a matching curves at the sacrum and the thorax. So if I use an activity or an exercise that allows for more kyphosis to develop or me to expand posteriorly by blocking the front, Mm -hmm. allowing the back to open up, I should have the same thing happen at the sacrum.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, what type of squat variation do you commonly see the butt on, would you say?
1: Back squat. Back squat. squat,
2: So, where's the bar on the back squat? It's behind you. It's behind you. Based on your the bar being there... Driving, your driving, elbows are driving you more thoracic. And you're pulling the scaps closer together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more retraction. Yes. So, so the, yes. the curve is going to be less. You're going to have a reduction of thoracic kyphosis. Mm-hmm. So if I have a reduction of the kyphosis, then I'm going to have some degree of mutation. Mm-hmm. So perhaps some degree of butt wink is okay in that activity. Okay. And some degree of mutation in driving the hips posteriorly is okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that under... You would, you would say, like, if someone's squatting 500 pounds and they're, you're seeing a butt wink, you wouldn't necessarily be worried about that in terms of, like, shear
2: forces on the spine? Depends on how soon it happens. And it depends on are they managing the stacking, which we talked about earlier, of the, of the mm-hmm. thorax over the rib cage, mm-hmm. so that way I can have somewhat of a match between intrathoracic and intraabdominal mm-hmm. pressure. Because mutation doesn't
3: necessarily mean that we're losing that stacking, correct? Because if we're going to go into a hinge pattern, we still want to maintain that yeah. stacking. We're just taking everything forward. Yeah, so you're just you're moving
2: the together. the cavity or the, yeah. the core, which I, I call the ventral cavity in some, our thorax, abdomen, and pelvis. Mm-hmm. You're moving the whole thing posteriorly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, if I need to achieve depth on a squat, and I'm back squatting, while I'm already mutated, I'm going to drop down. To some degree, not to the extent that I might be able to if I anteriorly load. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually, because you're starting from a nutated orientation, if you're going straight down, you have to counter-nutate. Mm-hmm. That's where the butt wink comes in. Gotcha. How soon that's that happens, Oh, that's when it mm-hmm. becomes a problem. If, if the butt wink happens very early in the squat and I'm seeing a huge belly, mm-hmm. you know, all the viscera is moving anteriorly, that's probably a problem. So the, the butt wink probably is
3: not going to happen, if uh, not as soon, if you're able to stack things, regardless of, of the Mutation that you have at your pelvis, so that that's big, you know. Because Mm -hmm. I think that when people hear us talk about this stuff, like they're they might think that they have to throw out certain exercises. All we're saying is that like they may not be optimal for your goal. So if you're going, because I I think about this as a you know very recreational powerlifter. It's not very strong, but I I like to get on a a platform with a singlet on Mm -hmm. uh, every now and then uh, because I you know like to wear as little clothing as I can in it. and you know, so I, I would like to continue to compete in powerlifting. I'd like to have some type of uh, decent squat, right? So I'm thinking as I go through this stuff, well, shit, like I can't back squat anymore. But that's not necessarily what you're saying It's like you're, there's going to be some level of deviation that you might have or, or maybe not even really. Maybe you just have to accept the fact that like your low bar squat, it's probably not really a squat. It's more of a hinge, but you can do it in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, if you start to think about some of these things, so I'm just curious, like if you,
0: well, I would I would say like I don't know that it's why do we why do we throw in the world Help word health like why does that why does that matter? Yeah, that, I mean that
3: shouldn't be your first thought, but I think that it, you know because I think you can go the other way too. Like we, I don't think we should be thinking of of, of extreme sport like that as being healthy, but I think we want to think of it as being uh, less unhealthy, less, less dangerous, less dangerous, right? So how do I make it where I'm accepting that there obviously is a risk? You know, putting five five fifty on my back, like something bad could happen. Absolutely. I want that or it's not gonna be fun. Uh you know, but there's probably a way that I can do things that aren't going to be, you know, as risky. And and that way I'm able to extend and, and even like you're saying, like you're able to uh, get all of this pressure circumferentially
2: and now you might even be
3: stronger if you're able to, to manage those those things better.
2: Yeah. I mean I haven't worked with many powerlifters, but I uh Lucy Hendricks has worked with quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um and we collaborate a lot together, and she's had powerlifters do a lot of this stuff, change the mechanics in terms of how they're squatting, and they're able to move the same way, and it's just elite-level people with narrower depth mm-hmm. that's, and, and that's still get cool. the same feet. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 yeah narrower
3: feet. Which, right. which is probably going to lend itself to a more
2: vertical squat. It's yes. That's
3: what we're looking for, a more yes.
2: squatty yeah. squat. And that's even cool. if we're not talking health, like the way you get good at powerlifting is being able to train but more.
0: Yeah, what screws up a it's an injury. It's yeah, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, if,
2: yeah. If we can mitigate injuries in training, then that's probably a mm-hmm.
0: worthwhile thing. And, and that's
3: probably a, like a good segue to go into like what something that we never talk about on this podcast, um, which is hypertrophy. Uh, people have listened to us talk and you probably heard that word before, but hypertrophy means growth, and you usually talk about skeletal muscle. Um, so if you've heard of hypertrophy, Zach. Um, could you tell us how that might relate to hypertrophy training? Like, ha, like how can fixing some of this stuff benefit you potentially?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, a wise man once told me that the two keys to hypertrophy are mechanical tension and metabolic stress. And so, let's talk about the tension portion.
0: Metabolic stress being a backdoor pathway to mechanical tension.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you would induce a lot of the metabolites that would.
0: Mm-hmm. You're more you're more versed
2: in that than I am. So
0: basically it's gotta suck. Yes. It
2: yes, does. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think a, a big key to to establishing some of that mechanical tension is being able to utilize the range of motion of the tissues throughout their full range. For example, let's use the squat since we've been talking about that. I'm probably going to get better mechanical tension if I go a lower depth than if I do high depth squatting. Because I spend more time. Okay. Let, let's because say, I, let's say we right. have speed as the this constant, all that stuff. Let's say we're using the same tempo, all that. I would think, from a hypertrophy perspective... Go Full range of
0: motion training generally outperforms partial range of motion training, but you could argue that in terms of the squat, you're, you have different... Muscles that have different leverage points during that movement, right? So, mm. like, in the... The north, like how you want us to squat, I think we're going to get a lot more quad
1: mm-hmm, versus and you can feel it I mean, 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah. Whereas I think if someone's doing that prototypical, more hinge squat, they're going to get adductors and lumbar. I don't really, those are going to be the primary movers there. Mm-hmm. So, I would say, like, the big thing that I'm seeing is you're getting mechanical tension possibly and that's what the they did this eight-week longitudinal study where they looked at you know muscle growth mm-hmm. um from squatting and like the adductors and and the glutes were the ones that got the most hypertrophy and that's that's probably because of how, I would better, how they were squatting mm-hmm. because they're getting hip extension from the glutes at the top and then their adductors are the limiter in the bottom because it's a linear ascending it's a linear uh it's an ascending linear strength curve so your hardest point is in the bottom mm-hmm. but you can make the argument that if you just did i think if you just did partial rep training with the squat that you're talking about loaded up with bands or something accommodated you could just viciously screw up your
3: yeah i mean well, we were doing like supported body weight squats like half range of motion like mm-hmm. That shit was tearing us up. Like it was, and, and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, granted, like it's new. Yeah. You know, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a different movement. It's like it's a completely sure. different from what we've been doing. But there's there's something going on there. Well, I did the hack squat
0: yesterday, and and so one of the cool things to me is is you watch Johnner squat, mm-hmm. uh, and so Johnner's never learned. He, he doesn't know. It. Like so, he's never learned any kind of the bad pattern. So he basically just front watched. squatted and mm-hmm. safety bar squatted, and like he didn't touch a back squat for I think almost a year and a half, like a year and a few months. And and so his mechanics, he he has those the knees autumn like I don't just because of how we taught him, he's never learned those those patterns and he's never overloaded them. So his his pelvis and his knees kinda of move together and he's got a he's got right. a really nice looking squat. And then some of that might be just anthropometrics. But I think a lot of it is just that's the movement pattern that he's trained. Mm-hmm. Um And we did the hack squat with a reach and then really focusing on tucking that pelvis. And I think I had two forty fives on, and I was, like, lit after, like, seven
2: reps. Sleds 100 pounds.
0: Yes. slides 100
2: 100 pounds. pounds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we were doing, you know, uh, this morning, uh, myself, Ryan Whitehead, and uh, Jack, and uh, Jess. And, I mean, we had safety squat 135 pounds with the feet elevated. And I mean, most people couldn't keep the stack position and go full depth, but every one of them said quads were smoked. Mm-hmm. Now, as you get better at manipulating your body into this position, could you smoke your quads even further by keeping that while attaining an even, even greater depth? More weight I mean, I would think, potential. yes. Yeah. yeah don't I don't see more why not. Yeah. Like, it's in, in my mind, it's like,
3: I, I'm trying to play with, Cause I have a big ego, like, like I got, I got to squat, like I got to pull yeah. some heavy weight. Like I got to do that stuff or I'm just going to lose my mind. Right. But I'm almost looking at it. Like it's, it's, they just be a different lift for people. Like it's just an accessory exercise. If you want to call it that as we kind of transition to making that, uh, our more,
0: well, I don't know that it ever squatting. makes it. I see. That's the thing is like, I don't know if it ever makes it to your, your main, maybe your, if you're a power lifter, it probably never makes yeah, it to yeah. your main lift. But right? it can
3: probably get a little bit better. Yeah. Right. And, but it's like, it's going to do a different thing. It's like throwing it. It's like, if you've just been bench pressing your whole life for triceps and now you're doing tricep extensions, that's kind of what it feels like to me. It's like, mm-hmm. oh this is like, this is true isolation work for a quads or, you know, not, not exactly, but it just, it's, it's a, it's a compound
0: movement that tar- actually targets. targets applause.
3: Applause. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a very different thing. And I think like what that does for just injury prevention over time and just like just moving variants and uh, being able to do. Uh, present different patterns, like, I think that that is longevity at the, at the very least. Like, but I think there's probably also some some money there for for hypertrophy.
1: Well,
2: yeah, I I would think so. I also think too, you know, if we're talking ego, but not just ego, but like your main lift. In many cases, you're you're trying to output as much as you possibly can. So there's neurological neurological adaptations that go along with that, mm-hmm. um, so on and so forth, and you know alterations in bone density among other things. If you can't load Effectively with some of these lifts, yeah, maybe it's not your main. But maybe if we we went back to I don't know when you started lifting, eight or nine years old, and we taught you some of these moves or taught you squatting in this way, would it be your main lift? Yeah, and I don't I don't know that's what that's the cool. answer is because now it's like I'm trying to break you mm-hmm. uh, movement patterns that that both doing of you currently long, using, long and not only that, but you've also had, undergone tissue adaptation that favors you during doing certain things more so than others, like just based on the mass. How I mean, how many reps? I mean,
3: I mean, <laughs> totally yeah. 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 Well, you know, Ben, you kind of just brought up the genre, like you mentioned our metrics. And like, I think that there's a, I've heard a lot of talk about people saying like, well, I, you know, I'll never be able to squat that way because of my hips or this, because I'm, you know, whatever. I'm from France or something. Uh, like, you know, like, so is, is, is that a real thing? Like what's, What's your argument? To that? Like, how much does that matter?
2: Are or, or we talking like antiversion, retroversion? Yeah, just just like your your structure, in general. I
3: mean, you just talked about like I've had some structural changes that have you know, taken place through training, or just that someone's like hips are designed. Yeah, those are ray of their hips. Or whatever.
0: Yeah, like, like, oh, I can't squat the full depth. Like, look
3: at how much like I have very little space. Like, what what's kind of your response to that? Like, you think everyone has that archetype type kind of squat, uh, or like what do you? How, how easy are people able to get into this stuff? Uh,
2: I think that the people who have structural, uh, structural adaptations, at least with the populations I see, and I see some, some screwed up pups, um, is very rare. I, like I can think of one person right now on my schedule who has like a legit structural adaptation where he probably, he probably has OA and, and is retroverted in the hips. I like yeah. Osteoarthritis. Um, so he's had bony adaptation happen that has created significant limitations in his motion, mm. but he has about 60 degrees of hip flexion available. When he stands up from a chair, he has to cross his legs underneath him and gets up on the outsides <laughs> right. of his feet. So I, like, I mean, that's a like, lot different than, yeah. You know, like, when just, yes. Out and walks yes. And it, yeah, yeah. So no matter what I do with him, I'm lucky to be getting just a few degrees in range of motion. And it's probably his ultimate fix is is a surgical procedure. Like that's an extreme. I don't see people like that who maybe have just, you know, 10 degrees of hip internal rotation and they have to go with a wide stance. A lot of times, especially if you're younger, that can be altered and and adjusted by manipulating the range of motion that you have available in the hips through some of the stuff that we learned in the seminar. Um, Because if, if you can't stack your rib cage atop your pelvis, that's going to reduce movement options at the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a—I forget the name of the author. Um, I think it was a study that was done in 2014, and it was on people with hip impingement. And it was a three-dimensional model, and they dumped the pelvis into anterior tilt, and that stole hip internal rotation range of motion, mm-hmm. creating more impingement. Creating more impingement, and it stole other ranges as well. But the big thing was. If I anteriorly tilt the pelvis, there's a loss of hip internal rotation.
0: Mm-hmm. So in if, a compensatory external rotation of the femur.
2: Yes, yes. In in this population, so if I can get the pelvis to get underneath me, perhaps that allows for greater movement options available at the hips. Well, that's going to change where you set up stance-wise for your squat. That's going to change a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, I, I think it would behoove most people to see if they can restore as much movement as possible in some of these regions and then try to recreate the positions that we would teach at lower intensity activities under load and see what happens. And I think more often than not, you could probably get some changes in range of motion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, where we saw that all, all week. Yeah, we saw that all week. And, and, and we're right, adaptable right. creatures yeah, and yeah. it's just, it's just learning a, a different skill so what does that look like uh like starting from the beginning so say
3: like the ultimate goal is to get someone into uh you have the ability to counter mutate their sacrum to be able to drop into this uh squat. Yeah. squat. so like yeah. where do you where do you start with that i mean obviously everyone's a little bit different but you mentioned the stacking thing
0: like also like how you do see people who i think we do see people who have this squat and and you mentioned that like so, some, sometimes you'll see some lifters, normally Asian lifters, who do have this type of boom, straight up and down squat for like 600 pounds. And you've mentioned that they are cheating. Mm-hmm. So how are they cheating? Yeah.
2: Right. So the way that they're cheating is they are either externally rotating the femurs to, to a slight degree to allow them to actually do the nutation to get down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll see with, with some people like this. As so their might, pelvis
0: still isn't stacked.
2: Yeah. And we saw that with the the example that I gave in the the seminar of of Lucy. Like she has she can get really, really low because she's got a crazy amount of hip flexion available. So what what someone ends up doing is they shoot their hips back until they can get to that point where they can acquire that last bit of hip flexion and then they sit down. You'll see that. Um, sometimes what you'll see as well is they may just externally rotate at the tibias to again widen the base of support to allow them to get down. I don't know, anyone does that torsion
0: You don't have that. I don't know
3: anyone. Anyway,
2: yeah, okay. yeah. 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 It's fucking. <laughs> He's has literally like going
3: two different directions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he,
2: yeah. So you, you see.
3: And we it's back. still going.
0: We're still recording.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Marshall break there. So we good. Yeah, I think so. seems like it says, and yeah, the, so the Mike
0: seems to be doing the thing. I
2: can edit that out. All right. so so you, you either see a compensatory rotation either at the femurs or at the tibia into external rotation which allows them to clear a little bit of space in the pelvis to shoot the hips back
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it. that's how they achieve the depth whereas if you look at indigenous populations or aborigines um, like just just go to google images and check out some of their squats um, you, you see a drastic difference in terms of how the spine looks and that's yeah. really your tell as as I as I counter nutate the sacrum the rest of the spine should round but so that that's butt length that's bad but I
0: want a neutral spine
2: <laughs> what's neutral yeah yes and can you measure that
0: so that's what people people want to see this straight line on squat they want to see this straight line on the deadlift but really if you're squatting your posterior, your posterior thoracic should be expanded you should be a if, you're
2: bit if, if you're interiorly loaded. Less
0: so in, if you're a Less so if you have a yeah, But even a still,
2: though,
3: it's it's. I think the perception of what is good and or healthy for your spine, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, there's still a lot of people that are talking about like tying your shoelaces in a in a hip hinge, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like yeah. so. Like I think that we like the perception needs to change of just what is what is good. Just in general, what your back is supposed to be able to do, uh, and then carry that over to, uh, to lifting,
2: right? Yeah. Like, well, I think there was an inherent fear for many years that if you flex the spine under load, that you're going to have a disc shoot out yeah. the backside. I thought it was
3: that there's uh, there's a donut inside you that was going to explode or something. Yeah, just, oh, okay. just I mean, pancake batter. Sugar, I mean, that's what yeah. I was again. So you don't want pancake batter inside
2: your body. No, yeah. no. So, um, but but here's the problem. There's a. I think this was in Journal Strength Conditioning Research, 2010. As soon as you put a, a load on your back, your lumbar spine becomes kyphotic, so it flexes. As soon as the load's on your back. Mm-hmm. But, but shouldn't that blow out every disc in your back immediately? Then, right? I mean, I mean, with, with that logic, you so, you would think so. so yeah. maybe
3: that yeah, we logic both is outdated.
0: Out
3: All Altogether? Yeah. at least one spine's worth, right? Yeah. At least between yeah. the two yeah. of us. Two <laughs> two so maybe That's accurate. That
2: He's well, no I, than that. Well, but it, I mean, if you play the odds, chances, chances are, are you probably do. Yeah. Probably all three of us yeah. have. Oh yeah, like,
1: and you run. Cool. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So that wasn't good. So yeah, the perception
3: probably needs to change a little because I think I—I I mean, at least I know when I first got into this industry, which was nine years ago, like, and, and prior to that, as just learning how to lift from ten years old on, like, if I saw like a picture of one of those like Aborigines the way they're squatting, I'd be like, oh shit, like they're going to blow their back out. <laughs> like, and like, legitimately, like, that's really what I thought. Like, and yeah. that's kind of. so I, I think it's like, you know, I'll plug your stuff for you. Like, I think you need to go to the course. Like, as I think you need to understand like all of this, this stuff from the bottom up and then it makes a lot of sense the way that you lay it out. Um, you know, I, I, how would you like, you know, we, we did all this stuff over this past week and um, you know, a lot of it was kind of lower level stuff that, Eventually built up into that, the higher level, like we're talking about squatting, uh, deadly yeah. pressing. So where does it all begin for you? Because it seems like there, you know, you have a formula uh, mm-hmm. and you adjust it based off the individual, but there is a there is a beginning to this. So so where does it where does it kind of start? Enable and, and beginning to manage all these things that we're talking about.
2: Yeah. So for me, my bias, most of the people who I work with, I'll say like eighty percent is. A, a pain population so in, in a rehab setting so that's where I catch people mm-hmm. I mean I have some clients who I train online as well so that's a, a little bit different but I try to actually start people in a in a similar spot I want to teach my, my goal in, in my head is I need to teach this person to be able to stack the ribcage top the pelvis and I need to pick whatever drill that I can give that person to do on their own without my supervision to be able to accomplish that. And then it's a matter of progressing intensity. So for example, one of the first moves that we went over is like a 90, 90 position or a, a wall position or a luit position as it is in the research where your, your hips and knees are at a 90 degree angle, and you're working on lifting the hips up while, while doing some breathing mechanics Yeah, on the ground, on your back or on your side. That position, if I go upright, is a, a parallel squat. Mm-hmm. So you could reason to believe that you could probably start someone anywhere. That's just the most regressed version of that that's available. So, and would you say that most weightlifters cannot segmentally kind of posterior shift through their spine? Most, they yeah. just move all together. But, but not just lifters, but probably everyone. Every. I mean, and people in pain as well. Uh, if you look at the research on movement variability, and what, what that is, is how how much difference difference do I have in my motions, even if I'm performing the same motion. So if you perform 10 squats, each squat should be subtly different. And that's been a marker of, of health. When you are in pain or you've sustained an injury, or if things are getting challenging, you generally reduce your movement variability or you reduce your options available. If I'm under threat, I do not want to explore. I want to go mm-hmm. with what's efficient and, and what works, because I don't know what my next move is going to be. Yeah, I mean, that could be anyway, general Bob like a yeah. like
3: he it's just a generalized response.
2: Yeah, yeah, so you could really start someone anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were my client, we might just do what we did with your front squad, and I don't even have to get you on the ground, mm-hmm. unless we find a rate-limiting step, or if we find, like, you need this movement to be able to accomplish your hypertrophy goals, mm-hmm. And maybe you can't do it right now, so what I'm going to do is i'm going to regress you to something where you that that's going to mimic what we're trying to achieve on the on the weight room floor mm-hmm. so if you can't split squat or maybe you can't you're not getting as much as you want out of your split squat, I could do some type of variation either on hands and knees or I could do something on your back or in fact like the, the move that I gave you when I worked with you, that sidelining stride where you have the, the top leg is fully extended and then the bottom leg's bent. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the top of a, a step up or that's the bottom yeah. of a step up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're doing like a sprinter variation or if you were to, to do sprinting for some reason, it's the exact same position. It's just, I need you to control or, or put your body into a certain orientation in order to maximize the movement available and to restore length tension relationships or give you options to have multiple length tension relationships to be able to achieve the adaptation that you want. And so for you, that's, that's, that's gains mode for a lot of my people that's getting out of pain because mm-hmm. if they have options available, then you don't have tissues getting overloaded and developing ischemia where there's loss of blood flow and problems ensue. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be different for, you know, if I have a power athlete, well, I, I, if I'm, if I'm talking stretch shortening cycle, I need to be able to take people through the full eccentric concentric, not full, but at least be able to get into an eccentric concentric orientation to elicit the, the stretch shortening cycle. Mm-hmm. So the, the concept's the same, and I would say you need to, wherever you're starting with someone, you need to pick the, the move that they can execute the, the stack effectively and then progress it from there, mm-hmm. eventually getting to stuff that you, you, you both already do.
0: Which is, I think, the biggest takeaway that we've both had is, all right, so we have – maybe we we take our licks on, on these big boy lifts because, for us, our ego is probably never going to be able to put those down. Um, we've been doing them for decades. Um, and so, bench pressing, deadlift, I've kind of – I've even – I've let go of the deadlift. Like I know you haven't, it's your best nah, lift. i have never been. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, And yeah.
0: then and then like working working on letting go of the squad. I don't know that I'll ever let go of the bench press. Um <laughs> so good at it. Uh, <laughs> but not really. Um, so but this idea that all right, so we have we are gonna move this way, maybe we can move a little bit less poorly but there's no reason to carry that over into everything that we do. Like you can maintain a stack pelvis on a, on a, on a a stack pelvis with a stack thoracic spine and you can do tricep extensions or you can do lab downs and you can, it's amazing how much, how much more stuff you can feel like you can get abs on every exercise. And so a lot of your accessory work or, um, what I would think is probably the primary hypertrophy response for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. You can turn almost into repositioning germs mm-hmm. if you, if you understand these principles. And I think yeah. if you understand the principle, you can, you can come up with a lot of your own stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially if you know, for you two muscle bound grows, you're probably going to need more intensity to be able to restore the movement options just based yeah. on some of the fluid dynamics that we talked about mm-hmm. in the joints. Mm-hmm. If I have, uh, the ability to, to contract a muscle to a really high degree and I can't go into the opposite direction, you're going to need, you're, support, guys. You're going to need yeah. some, you're going to need some force production to be able to, to move the fluid the other way to
3: restore the movement. So that's cool because I, I think that, um, you know, the people that are savvy to this kind of stuff, you see them, Almost take like a left turn with their training, where it's oh, like fuck. they used to train. That drives <laughs> both of us fucking bonkers. like, yeah. and I, you, nah, I don't say that I was like fully there, and I don't think Ben ever really was. Well, but I mean, I've, I've
0: seen people like all of a sudden they're goblet squatting, like they could, they're they, strong they shit. Do, like they could squat three fifteen for ten, and then all of a sudden they're goblet squatting just, as their main lift. Yeah, know? there's
3: like this fear involved that they're just like, yeah. you know, it, it. So what you're saying is it, 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 not only does it probably not need to be that way but those people probably won't even get the full effect out of what they're trying to do because they need force. They need stress to be able to push things in the other direction. Is that? Yeah.
1: Accurate? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's on in cool. an
2: individual basis though. Mm-hmm. It's like for you today when, when you were front squatting, you were able to get yourself into that position and you're able to get the stuff that we were trying to do. But what if you couldn't do that? Go. Then I got to give yeah. you something else. Yeah. yeah. But is
0: loading that going to be that bad? He's been doing that for a really long time.
2: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not. It could be, but it could not be too. Yeah, you take. And what's that?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, is it? It's it's so hard to say, you know, because we we look at this stuff and we're like, oh shit, like you're gonna blow your back out, like you're doing that, you know, like. But it's like we don't know, like you know, and I can tell you, like I like used to have a lot of back pain, like I had a lot of issues. So some of the stuff that I've done, even though it's not perfect, has made things better. I think Ben probably the same the same case. Like we've we both had injuries and shit. Um, So we're still has to learn this week. We're still not doing everything perfectly, optimally, uh, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But uh, like it's, it's, you have to take that that risk sometimes. But I think that that's a really big point that I I really would like to make sure that people take away from this, that that I've been exposed to your type of stuff and been exposed Mm to uh, certain acronyms. And, uh, you know, yeah, the Safety is like, you know, you, you, but it's, it's not even like you actually need a threat to have change, especially if you put so much threat into your body that it's shifted you into this pattern that you're in now, like you're going to need some, some stress.
2: Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that would, that would probably align more with the research than the stuff that I do from an injury prevention perspective. Mm. I yeah. mean, one of the, the, the biggest risk factors for injury or well, that would make you healthy as your ability to produce force. Yeah, um,
1: and, and there's and not there's much there's research showing
2: the stuff that I do or having full range of motion available being the same thing. Mm-hmm. So and like,
0: training volume, like yeah. training volume is protective.
2: Yes, yeah, it's injury risk.
0: Like if you can maintain a high training volume, it's protective.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas we don't necessarily have that data on. Can you achieve a full squat? Yeah. Do you have all of the man? I, I mean,
3: I would love to see some some stuff like you know the squat studies. Like what's going on in this type of a squat compared to a traditional squat.
0: That's why I think like the interaction stuff with the my motion, like looking at EMG patterns or not that EMG is not perfect, it's not perfect, but you might be able to pick something up in that like, hey, when people normally squat, they get this or Mm -hmm. even, and then you have, you you can, because a lot of this stuff, I think where the evidence-based fitness community, uh, and I, I, I don't want to be evidence limited where the evidence-based fitness community, like a lot of these tests that people, they kind of look gimmicky. Like you can, you can move them around and like, like, Oh, this looks better. Like, uh, is it really better? And so that's why I kind of, as a scientist, I want, I want to know like objectively the, these tests that you, and I'll, I'll throw out acronyms. I don't really care. Like if, if PRI has these objective tests, are they really objective? objective? Like, no, they're a subjective test. Like there's, you're, you're moving it. And so I think adding some objectivity to this from a research standpoint could be really, really helpful to those people that are, that are, maybe they're always going to be contrarian. I know I'm very contrarian in some ways, but there's the coach that is, that has been coaching this, the RDL with cervical extension, you know, max amount of stretch for that entire motion and they're using that as a primary hamstring exercise. But once you run out of – once your hips stop moving posteriorly, you're no longer getting hamstring because a hamstring is a hip extension muscle. So, like, you're just getting lumbar
3: flexion. And, and, and even if that isn't bad, like, it's not good either. <laughs> like, it's not any be better. Like, you ran out of hamstring. Like, so – like, it's not that you're not – like, you're still going to build muscle with that exercise. They're going to feel
0: more because they're eccentricly loading, and yeah. eccentric loading is going to – pain yeah you sure. can have more
3: soreness yeah yeah uh so it's it's like that's the only thing too is because people argue like well nobody does shit this way really i mean like the people the biggest guys just mm-hmm. just crush like <laughs> they're not thinking about this stuff but they're also generally again uh sidelined by injuries often like everything over, like this it's just overused stuff right like so this could be yeah. uh I, I think this this could be a longevity thing i think there's also just an ability to Like I said, it's just kind of like different exercises. Like it's Mm -hmm. just fibers that you probably haven't hit before. Like, you know, just with that squat, like feeling like I generally, as shitty as my squats look, I actually generally feel a lot in my quads. But that was like a completely different feeling, the way that we were squatting. You know, it was like, it's very like, uh, like more like proximal, like quad like shit, like I don't really usually feel.
0: From yeah. a from a moxie standpoint, or from just from mm. like a blood flow standpoint, I think we might when we squat, we might just be feeling blood go to that region instead uh, of that's that's. So it's not actually hunch. mechanical tension. That's my hunch,
3: dude. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's not because you're just
0: shunting stuff around.
3: Uh huh. Yeah, because I tell you, I like, will feel it, and I'll have people say that they feel their you know quads in those squats, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, it looks like a lot of back. But if you're telling me you don't feel your back and you feel quads, like. So that's, that's a really – because you are moving that tissue. like You're bending your knee like there's something going on there. Yeah. That's you're a, you're including
0: something. You're including a lot of something. So maybe
3: it's just, yeah, if we talk about mechanical tension
0: as kind of being like a backdoor way – I'm sorry, yeah. metabolic stress, stress is
3: a backdoor weighted mechanical tension. But, but I don't
0: think you're metabolically stressing overloading the quads. Yeah, probably. From but what I, I've seen. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting And point. definitely not
0: the rectus. Definitely yeah. not the two joint quad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, yeah. You're not doing that one. You're not doing that with a squat, anyways. That's yeah, likely.
3: Yeah. 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 I mean, like, we, like, that's just kind of, we're both kind of committed to making these changes a little bit with their training. So it'd be yeah. cool to see what, what kind of changes we get.
0: My shorts don't fit already. So be, my, my wife will be real, real happy. I mean, I don't
3: really wear clothing that fits me anyway. So that's not really have anything to do with my muscle. But yeah.
0: hopefully they get tighter. <laughs> <laughs> anything else anything else we, like i'm trying to think of because this stuff is so foreign to a lot of people and it's it's so foreign that it initiates a threat response i know it did for me when i first saw this shit i was like what is this like this is stupid it's, it's unloaded but i think as as i mean yourself pat lucy as as they, as you guys kind of bring this stuff more into the mainstream gym environment, it's looking less and less like physical therapy. And I think that's where people get hung up is a lot. Like, I'm not like, if you're a strength coach, you're not a physical therapist. And if you're a physical therapist, you're not a strength coach. But I think that we've talked about this is like the lanes, like where is your lane end? Where does someone else's lane begin?
2: How do you feel about that? i i think I think the concept of staying in your lane or having lanes is i think is b s because I think there's no two strength coaches who have the same skill set I think there's no two pts who have the same skill set I think it really depends on or i think we're we're all trying to get people to the same end point, which is we want people to be pursuing fitness in however they want to do that um, to maximize whatever their goals are, whether that's health goals, whether that's performance goals. And really the difference between the three of us is we're all catching people at different places. You might catch someone who has gut issues or a messed up thyroid and whatever. You might catch someone who wants to get into bodybuilding because whatever they've been doing hasn't been working. And I might catch someone who's, who's in pain. Um, And and that's just the starting point that we're we're bringing these people towards or from, but we're all pushing them to the same thing. And where I think we might be, but I don't think that's the, I don't think that's generally what happens in the
0: industry. We're all trying to make people autonomous. Like Uh, what, mm -hmm. what do you want? I think the, the industry is trying to like, they have their box. The majority of people have their box and they're trying to shove everybody in their box because from a, that's easier to do. Yeah, you have, you have this. This is where it I want to you protect your get. business
2: too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, which I, I think, yeah, you might make good money in the short term, but you're probably not. You're probably doing a lot of people wrong by that, and and we're not. We're not developing that autonomy, like you said. We're not. I, I think we we have to ask ourselves, what is this person's goal, and not have whatever our goals and our biases are attached to that. But if we can use our skill set to help them achieve that goal, I think that's that's worthwhile. And I, I think that's really what the industry should move towards. Giving more people more skills. More people more skills. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it, You
3: know, I think you guys kind of got screwed on this deal. Like, I didn't go to college. Like, I was able to kind of enter this industry right, right out of high school. Like, I went to a pretend college for four months. Like, I spent, like, eight grand on it. Like, and then I just started making money, and I started working... The same people you guys work with, really. Yeah. So I can see like where someone would be pissed off. You know, a, a physical therapist that is very good at what he does. He's a freaking doctor, or something's a functional medicine doctor who has a PhD in nutrition, and you know you got some shithead twenty-one year old like working with these clients, and they're actually helping them, and like yeah. that kind of sucks. You know, like yeah. I can see how that would be a little frustrating if you're someone who's like really tied to that degree and like and that, that's what I, I love about both of you guys is that like you you want to help me because you want me to be better at helping other people and it's yeah. like this whole thing of like we're just we're trying to do good work man like we're just trying to like make sure that people it's not like this ego thing like maybe you went about it in a different way but we've all worked hard to get to the knowledge that we have yeah. um, and I think that it's just like just remembering that people are coming to you uh, to get them better like and, and they're coming to me to get to get better. Like, whatever it is, whatever that means, like, I don't think that necessarily one person should uh, only be able to touch one thing because yeah. that's what they went to school for and that's what they paid 100 grand for. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's, because it, we're talking about humans, like, it's not really uh, that cut and dry. That it's just like, just because you went to the nutritionist means that they're going to be the one that helps you. Yeah. Like you might not jive with that person, like, for whatever reason. Like, it, it's, it's, uh, so I think just like pulling the ego out of it. And, yeah. Uh, and that's what you guys have both done really well. In. Uh, that's uh, it's 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 pretty awesome like, for me to be able to learn from, from guys like you and to see that set that example. Like I think that's that's what needs to be perpetuated throughout the, yeah. the industry. Well,
0: well you gotta be careful legally though.
3: You do. Like, sure. If if you're in
0: if you're in the States, uh, even if you're in Cozuria, like they have they have laws about this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's where most of these laws are you know, we talk about belief structures, these these systems work because it's a shared belief structure. What is the AMA? What is, what is the dietetics association? These are you know, governing bodies that have gone state to state and now they have these rights um, because, you know, I should not be able to perform heart surgery. That's, that's not, not something that I should be able to do. I don't have the credentials to do that, nor do I want to do that. Uh, and so that's the ideology of this is like, Hey, you don't, that's why those things exist. That's why those letters after your name exist. Um, and that's the danger to me is when, um, it's really an error of omission. So like someone, if you're, you're, I think why Zach and I both like working with you is you don't have, you, you have an ego in the weight room, but from a learning standpoint, you're, you're, you don't think that every, you're not trying to put every, you're not trying to handle it. Neither am I, neither is Zach. Like we're, we understand when hey this problem is is above me or outside of legally outside of my what i can do but the more stuff that you know the the more stuff that you know you don't know exactly you gotta identify whoa
3: yeah that guy, i'm not touching this
0: yeah yeah
3: it's just the responsibility of everyone that you got to know enough
0: and probably, i think the more you know the less dangerous you are if you, if you're not asshole, if you're not an asshole, then you're less dangerous. The more you know, if you're an asshole, then you just start taking on everything, and you don't make. You probably don't make good art. Yeah, you might make a lot of money, but not gonna make good art. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, But I think uh, we, if if we can keep the ultimate goal as how can I best help this person and you know what you're good at and what you're not good at as long as you can keep that and have people to fill the gaps in terms of what you're not good at or you fill those gaps yourself I mean like I I'm interested in many different things like I would love to get look learn the skill set that you have uh, like I, I think if we just keep that in mind and also encourage each other to, to maybe expand our skill sets because Ben and I only have so much time to see people. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, if you've maxed out your hours of seeing people in, fun- in your functional medicine realm, you probably want someone to refer to and you're not just going to refer to anyone willy-nilly, you're going to refer to someone who's good at that crap. Same thing with me. Like there's some trainers out there who I would rather, assuming that the red flags have been ruled out, send someone who's in pain to them as opposed to the local PT. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, think we just have to, we have to keep that in mind when we're, we're making, we're making these decisions to work some work with someone or not work with someone, um, that it's ultimately about what's in the, the client's best interest. And we need to, to, to put people in that client's life that are going to carry that out accordingly.
0: And empower, I would also say empower them. Like a lot yes. of us, a lot of us from like, how can I help this person? I think it's more like, how can I help this person help themselves? Yes. Yes. So if, because then, then I think our ultimate, where, where we differ from the majority of the industry, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this, is I want people not to need me. And I think and all of us are the same, but people tend to stick around because you know they, they enjoy your mindset, they, they want to get your opinions. And, um, and so that's, that's one thing that, that I really appreciate, even seeing how you work, seeing how you work with me, seeing how you work with my wife. And like, hey, here's your recap email. Here's here's as detailed as clarified of a of a recap as I can give you. And then if you need something, if you need anything, you just let me know. Um, but if this works for you, you're not tied. Like that could be it. Mm-hmm. That could. They're not tied. Like, hey, I need to see you every four weeks for the next fucking year and a half. Like, yeah. it's it's like this is. Hey, this might it might be this simple fist. or it might you know you're not need to see me um, more often.
2: Yeah, and I mean I. It was cool working with you as well, seeing that same ideology. That, yeah, you, know, you were my
0: client. I just had to give you information, and then you
1: fucked.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like, 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 all except wow. for the last couple months, you know, I, kind of, I don't know what the hell doing. I ate too much food. Too much so so I, I, no, so that's
0: <laughs> that's one of the. If we tie this back to kind of the theme of, of this, what we talk about majority, which is hypertrophy, the. You have all your tenants. We have all these things that we know are really, really important. Uh, I, I, Where I see this in my model is we have – this is potentially in that range of motion movement quality realm where you might activate – you might get more mechanical tension on different tissues and different angles, and that could potentially help you if you overload it, and overloading it might take some – you know, might take a real big hit to your ego because I think if you try to squat the same amount of weight that you've been squatting in this position – number one you're just going to go back to the way you were doing it before yeah, yeah. um and and so that can be really really difficult for people but if you can kind of regress the movement and probably make it a different movement in the beginning i think you you can probably get some at least at the very least you would improve moving variability and you would probably help your recovery at mm-hmm. the very
3: least yeah, yeah. and we'll see you about the rest we going to do some work yeah, it. It.
0: yeah, we're making a program right now. Maybe we'll maybe we'll give it to everybody. Yeah, if you're yeah. still here, uh, email us and we'll uh, we'll send you the program that we're working on. Uh, I'd love yeah. to come
2: yeah.
3: up with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zach, you want to just say like, yeah, I know you have a, a bunch more of these uh, seminars mm-hmm. coming up. Like, you want to just throw out a couple, or where, where should I find you to check? To check
2: yeah. Out? I mean, they have yeah. a pretty original uh, website name. Yes. The, the website is mynamezach.com, <laughs> spelled with uh, Z-A-C, not C-H. No, there no H. H. No. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a Zatch i Zach with a K, like, no. But there's a reason for that. Did you know that my initials are Z-A-C? Zachary um, Alexander Couples. That's so that's why reason. I remember Zach. Zach. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot
3: his first name, just remember his middle name and his last name. Yep. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> that guy. Uh, so, ZachCouples.com, um, you know, I'm on – that's that's where I would go. I mean, I do social media, but I'm also trying to be on that less. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just like
3: really real quickly, who – who is this for? You know, like, well, who is the, the human matrix for? Is it just strength coaches? Is it PTs? PT? Like, well, like, who could benefit from this thing?
2: Well, well, shit, man. Uh, after this past, the past however many days, we did uh, human matrix. I Well, I say it's predominantly coaches who attend this. I also have some clinicians. I've had the gamut of everyone. But we had someone who is not in the field whatsoever. Yeah, zero background. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and she, her initial plan was to just see how it was going. And if it got too over her head. She was going to just step out during those those times, and she stayed for the whole damn thing. Yeah, um, so which was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Got so, a lot out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is cool. So I, I'd say if you are interested in maximizing your ability to move, and that can impact a lot of different areas. That can impact hypertrophy because you're going to alter how you're, you're loading the system. That's yeah, going to impact power. That's going to impact rehab, um, sleep, sleep, <laughs> anything <laughs> really like things. So. What, I, what I'm trying to do is take one concept, which is, if I boil down to it, it was just teaching someone to maximize their movement in the, the ventral cavity, which is your thorax, abdomen, pelvis, and that occurs through stacking um, and applying that in as many different arenas as possible. Um, that's really what it is. So if you are a coach, that's going to be beneficial to you. If you're a clinician, it's going to be beneficial to you. And if you're just someone who wants likes being in the weight room or, or not, if you're an athlete, like that's going to be beneficial to you. So, so, um, but I'd say the people who predominantly come to this are coaches because I think they, I'm going to knock on my profession a little bit. Um, I I feel like coaches are people who are trying to be on the up and up on this stuff, especially from a movement perspective. I I feel like in the PT realm, most people are looking for tool acquisition.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, where's the cold laser at bro? Yeah,
2: yeah, or the needles or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, well the that, nose that's nose that's
0: not pain. necessarily all their fault because the people are coming to them for acute pain relief. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Really well you can get acute like pain, pain, like pain. Pain, pain, pain relief with the stuff like that and you can probably pain work. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so the, the pain yes. But uh
3: yeah, so I mean if, for anyone who's like serious about just their own training or like even just like,
1: to
0: see something different yeah like, it i know just <laughs> i know the first time i i saw kind of these principles um uh, it really was it, it did you know i wanted to leave the room it was it was like a ton of confirmation bias and i think i think if you're if you're true to yourself and you really want to get better at your craft you kind of walk into those those how you feel you walk into that and you're gonna you're either gonna come out like yeah that was bullshit um, and that's fine. Or you're gonna come out like, wow, that I can use some of that, and that's helpful. And now I I know more that I don't know. Um, and that's all, when I go to a seminar. Honestly, like even if someone can give me like just one of those nuggets of something that I don't know, and it sends me on a rabbit hole. Like we were a training Think Tank, and they were like, they just dropped. It was like it was like a side sentence. They were like, well you know, No Olson is only like 10% body fat on DEXA, and I was like, that makes it Sense this dude's got an eight pack, and so this morning I was just looking at like intramuscular triglycerides and like how much room they can take up, and we don't know Mm -hmm. like how much room. So these guys could they could test that way on a Dexa, but they sub they could have zero subcutaneous adipose. they could just be using it as storage. Uh, So just like just like little stuff like that in passing, you're gonna get. If you come to this this seminar, you're going to get so many of those little moments where you're yeah. just going Yeah,
3: this is the second time that I've taken it and I've got a bunch. I, I like it just like the, the thing that you can go to a seminar once and learn everything that someone has learned in the 20 years of their career like is kind of asinine. Like, and, uh, I really was uh, reminded
2: of that <laughs> this past five days. So, did you see a difference in terms of the. Uh... The way it was presented to yeah, I mean, I update this thing all the time. Yeah, you're, you're constantly updating.
3: It. I mean, that, that's what I love. Like that, you're not afraid to to go back and be like, hey, you know what? Like maybe I was either wrong or just not as right as I could have been, and let me correct that. Like, and because you're learning this stuff too. Like everyone's still like learning ways to get yeah. better because there is so much garbage out there that we've learned from the start that we have to kind of relearn the stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was just the way it was presented was was just better. I think I was better able equipped to. Uh, to learn this so, like even though I've been going over your stuff for the last couple of years mm-hmm. like uh, it's just I personally need to hear things very often I think most people do they just like yeah. to skip that part they just think they can go to it once read a blog post or like ah, I got it you know figured it out but uh, no I mean this just opened my eyes to a lot of stuff got us talking about a lot of things going who you go to the, the seminar with is actually a really big yeah. deal too like because we it got like a lot of conversations going on that yeah. Um, so yeah, I man, I, I think I really appreciate what you're doing. Like, uh, like my thing is I, I want to be able to do this for the rest of my life. And I, I really think at the very least, uh, this seminar is going to help me to do that. So thank awesome, you for all the work that, that you do. And, uh, I mean, it's,
1: it's great.
2: Well, I appreciate the, both of you for the discussions we've had over the last six days, just cause, uh, I mean, I, I just, no one has ever talked about hypertrophy and, and applying this stuff in that realm to the extent that you two have. Um I, I think it's really cool, and I'm excited to see one of well, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah whatever, it is. Hey, whatever anyone says, we're going to try to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So if you want to talk to us about anything, we're going to we're gonna <laughs> go somehow manipulate it. that conversation <laughs> into talking about hypertrophy. Yeah. You're going go to you're
2: gonna go step over class. And oh, like, for, look sure. Look for sure. Yeah. For sure. Trauma is trauma. probably helpful. <laughs> Would
1: you want to give somebody trauma in the weight room? Like, <laughs> 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 did we end it? No,